Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Lindsay Burke, and I am the Director of Education Policy at the Heritage Foundation. Thank you for joining us today for what promises to be an incredibly informative panel on how to form an education pod. As we turn the corner to August tomorrow, many schools across the country remain closed to in-person instruction. Many more have yet to announce their reopening plans, leaving families with a tremendous amount of uncertainty as the school year begins. Washington, D.C. public schools, for example, announced yesterday that districts would remain closed to in-person instruction until at least November 6th. In Manhattan, students may be getting as few as five days of in-person instruction per month as the school year kicks off. And in Los Angeles, the second largest school district in the country, they're only planning to do emergency online learning this fall. Parents are responding and they are responding quickly forming pandemic pods or education pods or learning pods to ensure educational continuity and socialization for their children. So what are these pods? You can actually see a one-page handout in the corner of your screen that you can look at for more information. But how do you form a pod of your own? And what do these pods portend for the future of education policy? We have a great panel here today to discuss how parents are doing it, how these moms in particular are creating their own pandemic pods of their own, and they can answer all of your questions, which we're looking forward to discussing on how to create your very own education pod. So I will now uh, invite our panelists to turn on their cameras. We'll hear first from my friend Jason Bedrick, who is Director of Education Policy at EdChoice. And I would note today is actually Friedman Day. It is the anniversary. It's Milton Friedman's birthday. So apropos that we would have an event on education choice and pods. Jason's the Director of Policy at EdChoice. We'll also hear from this fantastic panel of moms who are on the forefront of creating pandemic pods, creating these education pods. Kayla Svedin is the founder of Empowered Arizona Families. Jenny Clark is founder of Love Your School and Cottage School Life. And Sarah Raybon holds many hats, but she's the executive director of the Arizona School Tuition Association and has affiliations with Arizona Cape and Prenda Micro Schools, which you'll also be hearing about a lot today. So without further ado, I will turn it over to Jason to frame this discussion for us. Thank you, Lindsay. Uh, to use a cliche that we often hear these days, uh, we are living in unprecedented times. So if you're playing pandemic bingo at home, make sure to check off the unprecedented box. Uh, but we really are uh, in, in the sense that, yes, the, you know, this country has had outbreaks and even pandemics before, but we've never had a situation where just weeks away from what should be back to school, you've got millions of people who are unsure about how or even where their children are going to be educated. Uh, as you noted, Lindsay, district schools often have delayed their in-person reopening. Uh, many are offering online instruction or they're saying that, you know, we'll be open for three days a week. Um, you know, you've, we're gonna be alternating. Uh, some students will be in the afternoon, some in the morning. 
uh, you know, you'll have to uh, uh, socially distance in the hallway. We're closing down recess. We're closing down uh, the cafeteria. You eat at your desk. Uh, they're going to have sometimes these like sort of plexiglass boxes around their desks. Uh, so, you know, and even if they do reopen, there's also the strong possibility that after about a month or so, uh, governors may start closing down schools if uh, numbers start going back up. Uh, so plans are really in flux, and families are looking for some degree of, of certainty. Uh, first of all, what they're looking for is a high-quality education for their children, and that's something that often they could not find in hastily assembled uh, distance learning uh, in, in the spring semester. Parents, uh, we've seen in poll after poll, are not particularly excited about going back to that, for the most part, I mean, there, there have been some schools that were able to transition to online rather seamlessly, but uh, for the most part, it appears that uh, they were not able to do that. Uh, secondly, parents are looking for childcare outside of their home. Uh, and for that, online options are really insufficient. Uh, and many district schools, again, are, are closed and not providing that. Um, although actually in some cases, there have been some district schools that are closed, but they said, if you, if you pay us, we'll actually babysit your kids for you. There just won't be any instruction going on, which is really quite something. Uh, but parents found it really difficult to work from home and have their children at home at the same time. Um, and also parents are looking for either protection from the coronavirus or to protect their kids from the measures I described earlier to prevent the spread of coronavirus among large numbers of students, uh, you know, in, in a large school. Uh, so parents still want their kids, though, to have social interaction. We've seen uh, a great deal of stress put on children, being isolated for so long. Um, but parents, again, don't want their children in an institution with hundreds of kids. So what's the solution? Uh, what we've seen is really a, a Tocquevillian rise of micro schools and pandemic pods. Um, there's actually even a, a, a Facebook group that was called Microschools and Pandemic Pods, Maine, uh, which last I checked had more than 30,000 members uh, in, in under a month, which is really incredible. Uh, and they spawned a whole bunch of local chapters. So that really dramatically undercounts the number of people that are, and that's just one platform, Facebook, where people are going to uh, work with each other. Now, what, what are they doing on these pages? Some people are saying, hey, we've got a, a pod where we're looking for some more families. Others are saying, hey, we live in this area. Does anybody have a pod? We're looking for something. Uh, so, so what are these? Um, micro schools, pandemic pods, learning pods, they go by a variety of different names, and there are some distinctions that I think our panelists will address. Uh, but generally what we're talking about are small clusters of families that are working together to provide their children with instruction. Uh, who are the instructors? Well, in some cases, particularly the pods, you have parents that are taking turns team teaching, sometimes one in the morning, one in the afternoon, or alternating days or weeks. There's a, there's a you know, an infinite number of ways that they can do this. Um, some of them, however, especially in the micro schools, they are pooling their resources together to hire one or more instructors. Uh, and they are leveraging online options like Khan Academy or Alexia to provide their children with a high quality education. Uh, in terms of curriculum, some are just trying to follow whatever their local district school is doing. Others are going in a completely different direction. Some are adopting classical education, great books education, project-based education, unschooling. Again, the options are, are limitless. Um, where are they operating? Uh, in many cases, they are operating out of people's homes. Uh, but uh, 
I was scrolling through the Pandemic Pods Facebook page to see where people were doing this. Uh, here's a list that, that I uh, gathered. Uh, empty church classrooms, libraries, restaurants, um, strip malls, offices, indoor playgrounds, outdoors at local parks, American Legion halls. Uh, some were even in empty classrooms at closed down district schools. So there's an incredible variety of how people are doing this. Um, one thing I should note too, uh, before I hand it over to the other panelists, is that micro schools were already on the rise before the pandemic. You already had groups like Prenda, Acton, Primer, Prisma, Schoolhouse uh, that were growing dramatically before 2020. Obviously, uh, COVID-19 has been a huge boost, bringing a lot of attention and parents coming to, that, to these options. Uh, but just to take one example, Prenda in Arizona, in 2018, they had seven students. At the beginning of this year, they had more than 1,000, and they're now close to 2,000. Uh, and that's just in Arizona. Uh, so people are exploring the micro-schooling micro option who never would have considered it before because you've got smaller classrooms, more personalized attention. Uh, it's easier for children to go at their, more, at their own pace. It's a lot more flexible. You can adjust faster and more easily than in large uh, institutions. Just think of like a, uh, the district schools as a giant ship trying to change its course, whereas the micro school is a small boat that can very easily uh, move around. Uh, they can also select the type of instructional model that they prefer, again, like classical or unschooling or what have you. And they're a lot more affordable uh, than private schools. Uh, interestingly, these options have been serving traditionally underserved populations. Uh, Prenda is very popular, for example, in rural areas on Native American reservations, and especially among families that have students with special needs. Uh, so I think the, the two big questions that, that I still have right now are, one, how many families will actually engage in micro-schooling or pandemic potting this fall? Uh, and two, how many are going to stick with it after the pandemic is over? Is this just a flash in the pan? Or, as I think it might be, is this the first wave in a sea change in K-12 education? We'll soon find out. Great. Thank you, Jason. That was a, a really excellent way to frame this conversation. And I want to hop right into it now with our uh, fantastic pod practitioners. And so I would love to just quickly hear from each of you. And I would also, while we're having this conversation, uh, remind the audience, please submit your questions in the chat box. We want to get to as many of them as possible. So please do that. But first, we'd like to ask each of our pod practitioners, uh, where are you on your pod journey? I think you're each in a different sort of uh, uh pace with your pods and you're approaching it in a different manner. So how did you get started and, and where are you? Maybe we could start with uh, with Jenny and then go from there. Yes, absolutely. Well, we're actually going into our third year of our education pod um, and we named it. We call it Cottage School. We think that's super fun for the families and for the kids involved. And similar to the things that Jason talked about, you know, that parents are looking for as a result of the pandemic, we really started because we wanted something that was small, but that we could share responsibility for as parents um, and just a way for our kids to connect and have that social interaction. So I'm looking forward to kind of sharing more about what we do and hopefully it will be you know, helpful to other families. Yeah, either Kayla or Sarah, how did you um, start? Uh, yeah, so my daughter um, was in third grade last year and was, part, uh, was in a Prenda school which Sarah will talk more about. Um, so we did Prenda last year and it was her first year out of a traditional school setting and she had a fantastic time. 
Um, this year was a, is a little different. Um, she has a few other things that we want to kind of support more individually. So we actually have partnered with another family that has a daughter in the same grade. And we together, you know, pulled our resources and we hired a certified teacher that they'll be starting this next week. Um, we'll be going to their house and we've got everything all set up with them. And uh, the girls are getting along really well. And we're really excited um, to see how they do this year. We've got, um, it's going to be kind of new for each one of them. Um, the smaller, much smaller uh, size, just the two girls and the one teacher. And it'll be new for their teacher as well, who's been used to subbing in a traditional classroom. But um, we're we're very excited about this year and excited about the, the ability we've had to really customize what they're going to be learning and how they're going to be learning it this year. That's so exciting. I'm excited for you. And uh, before we get into the nuts and bolts of exactly how everybody's doing it, Sarah, how did you, where are you on your pod journey? How did you start? Well, so I am definitely a newbie. Um, I'm here to talk to the folks who maybe thought they would never be in this position. They would never consider anything like this. I have five kids and the older three, we were super fortunate that they, they were able to go to the schools that best met their individual needs. We've got two little boys, and just over the last few months, it's really been more, and it's become more clear that we're going to have to do something different for them. And so uh, we're gonna be doing a micro school, and we are in the beginning stages of that, and I'm really excited. Um, I, I just want everybody to consider that, that it, maybe if you've never thought about it before, um, it's possible, it's exciting, and now's the time to try. Now's the time. There's so many resources out there. If you've ever thought maybe, now's the time. That's great. So, Sarah, maybe we could just stick with you then and uh, talk a little bit about the nuts and bolts. So, you're talking about how now is the time, right? What was it, I guess, kind of clicked with you and said, this is the direction we're going, and then what were the first steps that you took? So um, I've been involved a little bit in Prenda schools here in Arizona, and I've just been able to see over the course of the last, not only few months, but even beyond that, just the amazing change in so many families and so many children. And my two little boys have a couple of just unique learning needs. And I just watched kids that maybe just didn't fit in that traditional box, that, that traditional system, just flourish. And just the, the, the mastery-based, student-led, empowering model that Prenda is, and just that return to that almost updated, like Jason was talking about, you know, a updated one-room schoolhouse. Microschools have been around a long time, I think, just called different things. Um, I love the idea of my kids still being in a small group, you know, eight to 10 kids, where we don't have to worry about a lot of the, I've got active little boys. I know a lot of people out there have active kids. Um, masks and plexiglass and sitting in a you know sitting sitting forward and uh, not being able to communicate closely uh, with folks and and having to stay apart that's just not going to be a good fit i just don't i think i think we're going to have a lot of kids with a lot of anxiety and so i just feel like um, being able to like kayla mentioned customize what they're going to be learning and maybe dive deeper in something that they're really interested in um, i just think i want to i want them to love learning and I think this is the direction that, that we're going to go. That's great. Well, I, I think you're certainly not alone in how you're thinking about what it would mean to go back to in-person sort of traditional instruction. So 
Uh, really good to hear that. Jenny, maybe we'll go to you next. What were the very first steps you took when you started on this pod journey? What are the first steps? If I'm a, a parent watching this webinar right now, what do I do tomorrow to start my own pod? Yes. Oh, that's such a great question. I'm really looking forward to sharing about that. Okay. So the first thing you want to do is make a list. We say create. Create a list of the things that you need for your child. And I think this is a really important first step because you need to know what subjects that your child needs and what subjects, you know, that you want taught potentially in a pod. Because if you don't do this step first, you might end up going and looking for a pod and get really excited about one. But then you realize, oh, my gosh, they're teaching, you know, science and art only. But I'm over here and I need, you know, English and math and these types of subjects. So create a list for what your child needs to be taught. And also, if your child is only doing, you know, an online program, let's say, through a school or through another online program, that's really important, too, because you're going to want to connect, likely, with other families who are doing something similar. So create your list. And then second is connect. Connect with other families then who are, you know, doing what you want to do. So put your put yourself out there on your Facebook or other groups that you trust and say, this is what we need. We need these classes, you know, math, English, and science. We're looking for two days a week or maybe three, and we don't want to meet for more than, let's say, three hours. Put all of that up there, you know, up front at the very beginning so that you're looking for and finding the right people that you're trying to connect with related to your pod. And then finally, we say contribute. Be really upfront with what you can contribute yourself and as a family. So just as an example, our education pod meets actually at our house once a week. The first year we had, I think, 13 kids. And then we added another family our second year and went up to 16 kids. So we're, we're busting at the seams, but it's a lot of fun. So we meet at our house. We have 16 kids and we meet for... Uh, essentially four hours. The last hour we do a community lunch together and we have three classes. We have uh, English, which is Institute for Excellence in Writing, and then we have Science and then we have Art. And for us, when we added the, the second family, we decided to break our whole day into two groups, you know, kind of a little bit of the younger group and then the older group. And so the parents just teach, you know, the same thing, but the kids rotate just in our in our house, you know, between two different rooms, basically our kitchen and our, uh, you know, office, which is the room that I'm in now. And so we have a great time. That's how it works kind of for ours. I actually don't even teach any of the classes. My role as a parent is the administrator. And I was really upfront with the other moms. I said, look, you're a nurse. You're, you know, teach science. You know, you're an English professor. Teach English. I'm going to watch the younger kids. I'm going to help make lunch for 20 of us, you know, including the moms. And I'm going to, you know, open up my home and get everything prepared for our education pod. Um, and that's what I've done and I love it. Maybe as we grow or we go to multiple days or even a full day, uh, some of my background, which is kind of boring, it's an econ, maybe I'll teach some econ or some government classes, but that's what works for us. So create, connect and contribute. And I think we have uh, some of that also in the handout for parents that might be trying to scribble it down. I, I love that, and I, I love how you've really highlighted that there are different ways that you can contribute. So for some families, if it might be financially out of reach, maybe that administrator role and having those lunches provided are a way that they can contribute to their pod. So that, that's really, really interesting. Before I move on to Kayla, can you just um, can we talk through maybe the financial model a little bit of cottage class, how that works, uh, how yes. families are contributing? Absolutely. And we are extremely uh, 
financially conscious in our cottage school. Um, two of us moms work and two of the moms are, are staying home. So, I mean, we go down to the dollar, you know, looking for the things that we need and where we can find it cheaper versus, you know, this store versus that store. So the way that we manage the finances is the parents that are teaching the classes that require extra items. And for the most part, that's art. There is a little bit in science. Um, so for art, the teacher comes up with the list and says, this is everything that your child needs. And then we go either individually and purchase those items or we say, hey, I can get a box of glue sticks, you know, way cheaper than each of the kids getting glue sticks. I'll, I'll chip in the glue sticks if you get, you know, the special graphite pencils that we need for art. And then the way that we store those items, the first year we did it differently. And you know how kids are. <laughs> they lose things. You know, it's very difficult. We had group everything, right? Group crayons, group markers. Well, what we did this year is we have shoe boxes. Each of the kids has a shoe box. Um, we keep them in our garage and the kids go and get them out of the garage when they start um, cottage school and their names are on it and everything that they need is in their little box. And we found last year that helped us save even more money because we weren't losing items. Kids weren't you know, breaking things as much because it was their specific set of items. So that's worked out really well. So some items you might have you know, group, but some you might just split out. Um, and then financially, some weeks we have um, the families each contribute. It still ends up being a lot more affordable, you know, five or $10 towards the meal. But I can make, you know, with, with 30 or $40, I can make a lot of food for, for everybody versus everybody having to spend money purchasing you know, their own lunches or all their little snacks and goodies. Um, and then for the teachers, you know, we're all volunteers. So none, none of our teachers get paid. So it's really just the cost of the supplies. And the last thing I'll mention, I know we're going to talk more about it later, but for certain projects, we try to do everything as a group. So this last year for science, when we say the kids had to dissect, you know, a fish, which they thought was super cool. We just got one dissection kit per family and that's how we purchased it out so it just was very affordable we saved a lot of money and that's just a very primary goal of what we do is to make it as affordable as possible that's great so kayla are, are you dissecting fish <laughs> what is your day-to-day -day like uh, and what would you recommend to families if they're thinking about doing what you've done what are some steps you would recommend yeah, so I utilize the Empowerment Scholarship account in Arizona, um, and it allows me to access my students' um, education funding directly and use it on on hiring her teacher, on buying curriculum, things like that. And um, with uh, the list that was up about um, getting into the groups and finding resources, you know, I've, I've learned a lot about, hey, where are you guys finding this curriculum stuff? Uh, my daughter is a very hands-on person. So a really thick textbook with a lot of tiny words, you know, for her to read a lesson doesn't work for her. So, um, and and the other family that we are partnering with, you know, their daughter is very similar. They're, they're both very hands-on. And so we needed to find a lot of, like, project-based stuff, project-based learning. We've been, um, we've been, we've invested in getting the... Um, different curriculum subscription boxes. So things like the KiwiCo boxes or Radish Kids, um, Mel Science is great. This is our first year using that and it comes with a whole science kit and you each, each month you get like a different um, set of things to do different uh, experiments with and all very hands-on um and and these boxes even though you get you get one like radish kids is like the cooking box 
but in their lessons each month, they're bringing in history and culture and language, uh, life skills, you know, learning, this is how we learn to saute, this is how, you know, different things like that. And so you really are connecting multiple subjects into one lesson. Um, and it's kind of like, you know, like educationally holistic, I guess. Um, and and it's been it's been very great to see her thrive in that environment because there are some kids that can sit down and can do a worksheet top to bottom and they're great. Um, my daughter has um, a learning disability that really makes writing um, very difficult for her. So, you know, we've had to find options around that and um, the, the flexibility um, that we have being able to use the ESA to get these things um, has been wonderful. Um, you know, it, it has been a lot of collaboration between me and the other mom and between us and the teacher. Uh, just we, we had like a big meeting this last week because we're getting ready to start everything officially um, about, you know, how are we going to do this? Like, where are we going to um, like, how are we going to structure these lessons? And, um, you know, kind of gave her all of my, my contribution to our, our pod is, you know, the curriculum stuff. Like I can get all of that. I can find all those things. Uh, we talk about them. We and I'm I'm just kind of I turn them over to the teacher. I said, you you sort through all of these and figure out what how you want to set up your schedule. You know, we want to make sure that she feels that she is in control of of what she's able to do with the materials we're giving her. And then the other mom is the host. So that's her contribution. She's like, hey, we can set up in my home. Um, we can do that. So um, it's definitely a a group effort and cooperation, um, but uh, it's it's going to shape up to be a really awesome year. I, I love how collaborative it is. And Kayla, you mentioned ESA, so maybe so Jason's not hanging out to dry over here. We can bring him back into the, the conversation. Jason, can you make that connection for us between ESAs and how that might work in terms of either pods or micro schools? Sure. So uh, ESAs or education savings accounts, or as they're known in Arizona, empowerment scholarship accounts uh, are sort of like vouchers 2.0, whereas uh, school vouchers you could use for private school tuition. The ESA you can use for private school tuition, but also or in addition or instead of tutoring, textbooks, homeschool curricula, online learning, educational therapy, and a variety of other options. And any unused funds that you have at the end of the year, you can roll over to save for future educational expenses. Uh, so, you know, whereas traditional vouchers would not have been particularly useful in this situation or for families that wanted to micro-school even outside of the pandemic, uh, the ESA really empowers families to customize their child's education. So it can do all the sorts of things that, you know, Jenny, Kayla, and Sarah have been talking about. It's not just paying for, you know, some sort of tuition, you know, if you had a, a more established, you know, branded micro school, but actually to hire that instructor to get those boxes of, um, you know, curricular materials. These are the sorts of things that the ESA empowers families to do. That's great. So I have quite a lot of questions, but we've also gotten tons and tons of questions in from our viewers. But I do want to ask, so maybe we can kind of rapid fire on a couple of these and whoever wants to answer is great. But can you talk a little bit about if you've got kids in different age groups, how does that work within a pod or even within a micro school? And 
how do we think about students who are high school aged and the content there? So whoever wants to jump in on that. Well, I'll tackle, I think, a, the younger grades. I think that I have seen such amazing things happen when you mix kids together of different ages. Um, the older ones can act in, as, as kind of mentors for the younger ones. And uh, the younger ones have these kids to look up to. And I have seen just amazing things. So I don't think that should really um, intimidate anybody. In fact, um, in, oh, and we do have some pictures in one of the Prenda Micro schools. It's a K-2, so it's their kinder, first and second. So obviously some of these kiddos are just learning how to read. And there's plenty of time for that learning guide to, to kind of one-on-one -on -one help those kids who are just learning to read and, and introducing those concepts. But then while the older ones can work a little more independently and get some of their, you know, academic time done. So I think that there's a lot of benefits to having that mixed age range. Yeah, I was going to say in our environment, environment in our um, education pod, we, we do have that challenge, right? We have kids that are ranging from essentially 6 to 11. So we don't have the high school kids. The first year, we didn't split. We just did everything together. And it worked just fine. The second year, we had more kids. So we did that split from 6 to 8 and then from 9 to 11. But when we were doing every class all together, what you usually do, and just kind of like you would if you were essentially homeschooling your own children, but you wanted to teach the same subject, is you do a little bit of a different assignment or you go a little bit deeper with the older kids. So let's say, you know, we're doing history and we're using story of the world, which is just a wonderful curriculum. So you teach your story of the world lesson and maybe for the younger kids that are, you know, don't know how to read yet or aren't great readers yet, they focus on, let's say, one or two things in the workbook and maybe it's more coloring. But the older kids, you say, okay, you guys, for the next 15 minutes, you're going to go, you know, sit in the living room or you're going to go, you know, outside and you're going to start to put together an outline because I want you, you know, to research, you know, the early, you know, Roman Empire. And that's what your assignment is going to be. And they can work on that also outside of the pod time. Right. So there's a main teaching time and everyone's kind of all together, but they can also have, you know, separate small assignments for um, either during that time and split into smaller groups or for later when they go home. And we've been doing that for two years and it does work really well and kind of like what Sarah mentioned, there really is a lot of value in seeing how kids interact with each other in, in different age uh, groups. So my one son who's dyslexic, he's two years older than my other dyslexic son, and just as an example, you know, they both really struggle, obviously, with reading and writing. So they use a computer in their English and writing class. And my older dyslexic son is helping, you know, wanting to help my younger dyslexic son. He's saying, you know, in between time or even after our our um, pod time, hey, I can help you with that. And so I really appreciate the values that I think um, you start to see or that become ingrained in kids when they're learning to help each other, you know, when they're not all in a classroom with 25 other 11 year olds, for example. Some really neat things can happen. Great, well, let's go ahead and go to some of the audience questions because there are so many good questions and they are practical, so get ready. Uh, all right, let's start with, here's a tricky one. If you hire a teacher, how do you handle benefits? Is that something any of you have thought through? Um, I know it's a conversation that we're seeing a lot on the sort of, we'll call it the pod sphere, but the, uh, you know, when we see all of these Facebook groups, uh, it's a question that is being asked right now. Is that something any of you have encountered yet? Any recommendation there? 
Well, I was going to say it depends. I, I'm not an attorney. I don't think any of us, you know, want to give legal advice. But I think we all want to make sure that if we're hiring a teacher. So so if your education pod has the funds to be able to hire a teacher, you obviously want to, you know, provide and help them as much as you can. So I think it depends. I think it depends on the parents. I think it depends on the family. I think it depends on, you know, how much money and how many parents are coming uh, to the table when it comes to the question of benefits, to be honest. Yeah, I think a lot of um, scenarios that I know of personally and the way that, that we are um, dealing with it um, with ours um, is that the teacher becomes an independent contractor. Um, she does, uh, our teacher does also continue. She will, um, we're only doing our, our meeting three days a week. So she has days open um, as she's a district substitute teacher. You know, she wanted to be able to be available for substitute calls. Um, and so she does still have uh, that as well. I don't know how that is going to work um, with with how schools are moving forward right now. Um, but I think it, it definitely is going to be something that each situation is going to have to deal with individually. Um, but uh, like Sarah, um, like Jenny said, sorry, um, you know, we're, we're not legal experts. And, and I think, you know, everybody should be doing what they know will protect them best in these situations. And, and related, uh, and not to get in any sort of legal discussion here, but I, this is a good question. So in some states, home child care has to be licensed. So the, uh, the audience member uh, references Pennsylvania, for example. Have any of you had any issues with microschooling or homeschooling or potting being classified as child care and thus requiring additional licensure. I know you're all in Arizona, which is just one of the freest educational states in the country. So I have a feeling the answer might be no there, but any thoughts on that? Well, I guess I'll just um, throw out there, yes, in Arizona, we don't really have any regulations in, in terms of um, homeschool. We have a lot of freedoms in, in that regard, but um, we've, not just, we've not had any issues with childcare and kind of trying to tie that in. Um, there's a lot of parental involvement too. I will say that for micro schools in terms of, you know, even trend to micro schools and I'm sure other micro school organizations are doing the same thing. Obviously we're doing due diligence. There's um, safety and the safety of the children is obviously top priority. So to whatever extent you can go to ensure that. So if you're having children come into your home, so background checks, fingerprints, things like that are really important and just something to consider if you're having a group of kids come into your home. But to the teacher aspect and as what we just talked about, I do wanna throw out, this is a wonderful opportunity. Reach out to those educators in your lives, maybe. Another, another way to find somebody right now, they're likely either doing a virtual, virtual school with the district or depending on where they work, where they're teaching at, this might be a wonderful opportunity for them, a benefit for them for maybe a part-time position. So consider reaching out to those teachers right now who are struggling and who are really not sure what they're doing or when they're going back or what it's going to look like. They may very well want to join um, a micro school or a learning pod. That's great. So we have a related question there, which is, are any of you running into any barriers to finding quality teachers for your pod? So how are you going about finding those teachers? I mean, you, you gave a good example there, Sarah, but any, anything else anybody wants to elaborate on uh, with regard to teachers? 
Yeah, I can touch on that a little bit. So one thing I want to say is that you don't have to have a you know licensed or certified teacher based on your state standards in order to lead a micropod because as a parent it's up to you it's up to you to decide what you're okay with what is you know best for your child and best for your family i think any parent that's home educated for a while myself included thought oh my gosh you know can i really do this and and what we're doing is very different than you know what it takes to be a teacher and to manage a classroom of 25 or 30 students can i really do this and i just want parents to know that you can do this so if you're worried or you're not able to find um, kind of what you have in, in the back of your mind is the ideal, right? This certified teacher that's working three days a week and the other two days a week, you know, is going to do a pod for you. Think about maybe doing it on your own with other parents. You might be surprised with how amazing and easy and accessible all these different curriculums are that are out there to help you, you know, instruct your children. Think about the things that you're passionate about or that you're good about or that you studied or maybe trained in and you can impart that into your children. Six years ago when we kind of started, you know, a, a little bit on this journey, you know, we weren't we weren't doing an education pod then. I literally got a curriculum that was like word for word what I need to say and what I need to do. And then I would do a little bit more research on my own. And I thought, wow, like I can do this. And so I think it's Kayla and Sarah would say too, like we want parents to also be empowered. Um, if you're not able to find, you know, kind of exactly what you're looking for in a, in a certified teacher to come to your home. Absolutely. I want to add too that a lot of people coming out of the traditional school environment have this you know very like structured idea of what school is and I, I've had questions from a lot of parents asking me you know how do I start how do I do this and and my first thing is like you know first like breathe because you know you don't have to start August 1st like you know first day of school you know we're gonna do this it doesn't have to be eight to three Monday through Friday and and usually when they're still looking for someone and if they want to find someone that can teach, um, I say, in the meantime, have a conversation with your kids. What are they interested in? What do they want to learn about? And, and find ways to connect different subject matters into that interest. You know, my daughter is like super into space stuff right now. So she's, reading space stuff, she's writing space stuff, she's building space stuff, you know, we're doing math with with space stuff, like we're, we're getting her engaged, because really, when kids are engaged in what they want to learn, and, and they've been brought into that process, um, they're invested in their education, and kids will learn whether or not someone is teaching them. Um, and, and so I think that's one, one reason why um, family pods like this, where the parents are the ones, instead of hiring a certified teacher, where kids can still be really successful um, as long as they're actively part of that process as well. And it is such an interesting time that we're in. I mean, Kayla, you bring up so many good examples. You know, we also know that there are college professors out there where their colleges aren't going to go back in person potentially this fall who might have some additional time to, to teach a pod course or same goes for teachers or private tutors that are out there. So we can really and just content matter experts within the community. Do you know someone who's a, a physicist? You know, have them teach your pod. So uh, there's a lot out there. Back to the, the nuts and bolts for a second. Um, 
I know some folks, if you look across the country, are using pods to supplement what the district's doing virtually, right? If we see districts who say, we're not going to go in person this fall, we're just going to provide uh, virtual instruction. Some pod groups have been doing that virtual instruction in the morning and then having their pod classes in the afternoon. But then some are saying, this is a lifestyle change for us. We're going to go full-time pod, full-time micro school moving forward. Can, can you all touch on that a little bit, the distinctions there? Um, the question that we have is how many hours per day of tutoring would you say is appropriate for maybe a group of four to six students? Any advice there? Well, I will say that if you're not doing the online instruction piece from the school, because that can take a lot more time and, and usually there's, you know, specific times you have to be on um, and watching certain things and completing certain work. The answer might surprise a lot of parents out there. And like I said, we've been doing this for years and I've asked this question every single year to tons of my friends and family. It's a lot less time than you think. A lot less time, yes. And Sarah and Kayla are nodding, so I'm glad that you agree with me. So because you're, you're not having all that time where you're having to organize students or take a large group, you know, to one room and another room and then to the bathroom. Um, so for example, like, you know, my child that's, let's say, fourth grade, kind of in between fourth and fifth grade, the max amount of time that, he, that we are instructing and that he's doing his work independently is about two to two to five hours on any given day. And some parents will go, whoa, what are you talking about? You know, my kids in school normally, you know, six or seven hours. And it's like, yes, but how much of that time is direct instruction and teaching time? And I've asked other other teachers that I have that are close friends the same exact question. So it's less time than you think as far as the, you know, direct instruction time. And it goes down or up, you know, depending on the age. But also there's a lot more free time, which I think it's really awesome for kids to explore all these other topics and subjects and even sometimes just to be bored and create and do, you know, the things that they want to do. So I don't I don't know what Sarah and Kayla might think about that one. Well, I'll just throw in that I, what I loved and experienced during our shutdown when we were all kind of forced into homeschooling and what I like to tell parents, it was not homeschooling. Jenny and I have talked about this. Don't think of that as homeschooling or, or even learning pod or micro school, that was crisis schooling. We all kind of got thrown into this, this situation where, and in a lot of cases I'm hearing from parents that worksheets were being piled on top of worksheets and you were having to log in here and log in there. And it was a challenge and work from home if you're a working parent. So it was, that, was, that was crisis schooling and not at all what we're talking about here. My son is going, he's eight years old, going to second grade. He needs breaks. He needs breaks. So I'll talk like just in, in Prenda world, um, the kids are really only doing 90 to 120 minutes of core academics. And the kids are setting their goals. So the kids are setting their goals on what they're going to be accomplishing. And you can do this not in even a, a, Prenda, a Prenda world. You can do this in your own environment, in your own learning Potter micro school. They're, they're getting down, but they can take breaks but they're getting those core academics done. And then it's a lot of hands-on learning. It's breaks, we dance party, we trampoline, get outside, get those wiggles out, and then we come back and maybe work on another project. But it's gonna be hands-on, it's gonna be kind of diving deeper into something you might be interested in, teamwork, a lot of collaboration and teamwork, which I think is so important. Kids learning to work together in groups and supporting each other um, as they work towards a goal. 
So um, don't think of it as sitting down. I know that was different for me. Like I thought, okay, we're going to be working on this for an, for this period of time. No, no, no. We're going to take a break. I see you're wiggling. I see you need a break. We're losing the focus. Let's take a break and then come back. So Sarah, this begs an interesting question, and we've gotten this question from a few of our viewers now. And Jenny, this is actually directed directly to you. So, uh, but this question of assessment, how we're measuring and tracking student learning, making sure everybody's on track. Um, the question, Jenny, for you was, are students in your school graded? So how are you thinking about assessment and measurement and just kind of transcripts and keeping track of how kids are doing in your pods and micro schools? Yes, yeah, so that's such a good question. Okay, well, it depends. Um, one thing you have to think about is what state you're in. And if you are technically doing an education pod and you are registered homeschoolers in that state, you need to be aware of whatever the laws are in your state regarding um, keeping records for transcripts and any type of testing or anything that your state may have. Um, in Arizona, you know, the rules are very, very flexible for homeschool families. But one thing, I think I really want to get out there is that for our family and each of the families in our education pod, you know, does this differently. So like our English teacher, you know, there is a grading checklist for each of the assignments for the IEW class that we do. And we walk through that as parents and then she reviews that. So you get to decide how you want things to be graded for your education pod uh, based on the families that are in there. But the thing I want to get across is mastery. This was so foreign to me, having grown up, you know, in the public school and attended public schools, kinder through 12th grade. So we don't move on and on a subject until our child has shown mastery. And for with two kids with learning disabilities, wow, this is this is a game changer because I can stop and go, okay. I know that technically with this math program we're doing, you're supposed to be getting through each unit, you know, in two weeks. But for my kids, that's not working out. So we're going to spend, you know, four weeks or whatever it takes until they have mastery of that subject. One of my children really struggles with their times tables. But how awesome is it that they're not behind? You know, they're not getting behind in a classroom. They're not anxious. They're not stressed. They're not failing tests every day. We just said, you know what? You need more. And the thing that ended up working was something another parent shared with us, which is, you know, these musical programs that you can use to teach your kids their times tables. So we judge by mastery. And then the other thing that we have done in the past, which a lot of homeschool families have done, is homeschool testing. So we have access to um, and, and families at home can take any type of standardized testing that's available out there if they so choose to. So you can make that decision. You can decide if you want to have more or less testing based on what you're comfortable with and what your kids need and also what your state requires. That's great. And we've gotten a few uh, questions. You brought up music there. So what if, what if I'm a music teacher? How do I as a teacher reach out to a pod group and provide my services or even let them know that, that it's something that I can do? Any, any recommendation there? I think social media right now is so powerful. I mean, just like Jenny mentioned and Kayla mentioned, throwing this out there on social media and you're gonna start getting parents. Join the groups, join those Facebook groups. You're gonna start getting parents uh, that are reaching out to you. Uh, I had a mom yesterday reach out and said she can't use her home for our, for our micro school, but would I open up my home? And so I could host the site and or host the school. Um, just put, put it out there on social media. If there's no group in your area, start a group, start inviting people. We've got a wonderful group, a networking group here in Arizona on social media. And that's where I think a lot of us get our, our, um, 
our teachers, our tutors, our other, find other resources, what's out there, get ideas from people. So put it out there on social media and they will come. Definitely. Gonna, There's a go, lot of, go ahead, Kayla. Sorry. sorry. Yeah. There's, there are a lot of resources, um, uh, in social media. Um, and you know, we I've, I've had some tutors and stuff ask ask me as well because sometimes people aren't going out and looking for different websites; they're just looking for different groups to ask for recommendations. And um, I think people are really realizing these, you know, mom groups are are pretty fantastic. And you've got parents um, from all over in different different places looking for different things, and you're finding those people that are looking for the same things as you. You're finding those people that are offering what you need. Um, and it's a fantastic tool. So we're getting so many really good questions. I want to bring Jason back into the conversation as well, because some of these are policy oriented. Um, so I'll throw out three really quick questions and then whoever wants to answer, Jason, please uh, hop in as well. But the one question, how much is a pod? We are seeing this a lot. So feel free to talk averages here. Uh, two, do, does everybody have access to an ESA or is this a state-based uh, situation? So Jason, maybe you can weigh in there. And then three, we're getting really good questions from teachers on how they could benefit from this pod movement. We have a, a question from um, someone who's a substitute teacher asking how uh, she can both help uh, with pods and micro schools and how she could or he benefit uh, from, from pods as well. So three quick questions there, whoever wants to jump in. Well, I'll just jump in really fast on the substitute teacher question, only because we just hired uh, a teacher who normally does music therapy in special ed classrooms in our local school district. And I found her on Facebook and she lost her contract um, providing services as a part time music therapist in our local school district. So she's trying to make up her income, you know, by helping other families. And so we base. So put yourself out there, put your sources out there on Facebook, yourself out there on Facebook and let parents, you know, know what you can do. So she's coming to our house now once a week for an hour to do music. And the neat thing about it is she's asking me, what are your kids struggling with? What else do they need? What other subjects are they having challenges with? So for this one hour, she's she's teaching them music, but she's also integrating other things that we're working on and that my kids need help with. So just be thinking, you know, if you're a substitute teacher, put yourself out there and what are all the different ways that you could assist a family who's starting um, an education pod or even just one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, in terms of uh, how much does it cost, that really that really depends. Uh, and we don't have a lot of great data even of what the average is yet. Uh, I know that there are a lot of families out there that are doing it for about four to six thousand dollars per family. Uh, I've seen media reports of some families that are spending you know, twenty five thousand dollars, but that that is that's totally unnecessary. That that um, you can have a really great micro school or pod experience uh, on like four to six thousand dollars. I know a lot of families who are, are doing it within that range. Uh, as far as the ESAs go, uh, right now there are only five states that have education savings accounts. That's Arizona, Florida, Mississippi, Tennessee, and North Carolina. Uh, and in four of those states, it's limited to students with special needs. Arizona is the only state that has a wide swath of the population that is actually eligible. So uh, I won't do all the eligibility categories, but it's students that are assigned to low district schools, uh, students on Native American reservations, uh, children of active duty military personnel or those killed in the line of duty. And there, there's a few other categories as well. So you can uh, check with your own State Department of Education or groups like Love Your School, uh, and they will give you information about 
who is eligible. Uh, but this is really something that I think that more states should be adopting right now. It is really imperative. The average um, public school spends $15,000 per pupil nationally. Uh, if families could even get two-thirds of that, um, that would be more than enough for them to hire competent instructors, purchase curricular materials, uh, and run their micro school. So uh, that is something that uh, I think families should be reaching out to their legislators and saying, look, if our school is going to be closed, if they're not going to be able to provide in-person instruction, we understand that. But our tax dollars are supposed to go toward public education. The promise of public education is that every child has access to a high quality education. If you can't provide that for me, the dollars should be flowing directly to whatever learning environment my child is in. And so uh, states should be adopting ESAs. Uh, there have been a few states, uh, I believe South Carolina and Oklahoma, where the governors are using GEAR funds. So those are the governor's uh, emergency funds that they've gotten from the feds uh, to set up basically short-term ESA programs. Uh, actually, um, New Hampshire's governor just uh, announced that, that he was providing um, $1.5 million for a similar program. So uh, contact your governor. Let them know that they should be using these emergency funds to actually help families provide their children with an education. I was just going to say that um, it also, there's so many free resources out there, too. So I don't want to scare parents off with it's going to cost thousands of dollars. There are a lot of free resources. Khan Academy is absolutely free. And during this time, we noticed other companies that are providing high-quality curriculum, offering a lot of things for a reduced, very reduced cost or free. So cost doesn't – I hate to see that even be a, a factor. But like Jason said, it does. Contact your legislature and, and your, your members and demand that you're able to access those resources because they should be educating your child. And, and Sarah, and you should mention Prenda at Home is uh, $100 yes. a month. So, and Prenda schools, they obviously see a need of being contacted by families by the thousands across the country. They do have an option for families all across the country, not just here in Arizona. And so it can be very affordable for any family. So definitely check out the Prenda family option on, on the Prenda schools website. Uh, micro schools here in Arizona, we're pretty fortunate that they are free for all families uh, in Arizona. We'd like to see that option um, extended across the country. But uh, this upcoming year, Prenda will have micro schools happening all across the country, um, even across the world. I think they're going to have the first micro school in Ghana. So there's some really cool things happening in, in Prenda schools for sure. So check that out. That's so great. Um, we're getting a, a lot of questions today. Maybe it was because I teased this event with a Spinal Tap video, but we're getting a lot of music <laughs> questions today. Uh, so uh, can you maybe, Jenny, I don't know, you mentioned it a, a minute ago, but can pods accommodate uh, music classes, music history, and orchestra? That, that's the interesting piece there. What about orchestra if kids want to get together? Is that something you've done? <laughs> well, we haven't done orchestra. Um, we've had the opportunity to take our kids to the orchestra, to the ballet, to the musical instrument museum, the science museum, children's museum. So what you can't maybe produce in an education pod yourself, I mean, there's just certain things, right, you're not going to be able to replicate. And as a parent, you're going to have to go, uh, you know, I'm okay with that, you know, because these are my options, right? So, you know, we haven't replicated orchestra a pod could possibly do that. I'm not sure, you know, possibilities are endless, but we have replicated 
other things like we talked about. Um, so whether it's music, right, or specific types of art, um, but then also as a parent, think about the other ways that you can build your child's education that are beyond maybe what we've always thought about, which is, you know, the typical classroom environment for six to seven hours a day. So I shared just the other day, and I know some of you guys saw this, we saw someone talking about um, a local Phoenix shop, a carpenter for 45 years, and he started a Phoenix woodworking school. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, my kids are always building crazy stuff in the backyard and taking out their drills and hammers. And I would love for them to get some real instruction in that because it's an interest and involves math and planning and all these other things that they need. I'm going to reach out to these people. We went, we did a visit. It was amazing. They're giving us a special deal for our whole family. And I shared it with a bunch of other family friends who said, wow, this is what we've been looking for. So again, even if you can't offer it yourself in your home for your education pod, you might be able to get, you know, a group rate or a family rate to go somewhere else. And I just want to say too, for the supplies cost for our education uh, pod, Cottage School, for a whole semester, I think we spent maybe $150 or less. And then, you know, there might be other curriculum pieces and things that you need to get. But like Sarah said, there's so much amazing stuff that's free online. Don't think, wow, I really need this math program. And gee, it's $400. But my kid needs to learn how to add and multiply. I probably should get it. No, save your money. Save your money and be creative and do what works for you on your budget. Well, I hope the New York Times is listening because they seem to think you can only do a pod for $25,000. So uh, that's great to hear. <laughs> Kayla. Yeah. So about the orchestra thing, I um, that reminded me, like, I mean, this was obviously before pandemic pods, but I used to tutor um, strings, um, kids that were playing stringed instruments. Um, I'm a cellist personally, and I, I was hired by a homeschool co-op um, when I was back in college. And I had, um, they, they usually did band and they hired a, this, these homeschool families hired a band teacher and he, you know, was teaching these uh, students, they're different. They were, had a whole set, you know, and, but there were a couple of the girls that were like, we don't want to play trumpet or flute or whatever. <laughs> they wanted to play violin and viola and they approached me and I was able to work with those girls and we had like a small little string quartet um, that we worked through the year with. And so I would say like, if your child is like, loves going to orchestra at school, loves going, you know, being in the strings class or band or whatever, um, they probably obviously have friends that were in those classes with them too. contact those families, see about like, they, they likely still have their, their music book from last year and, you know, find, you know, find a, music instructor that can, you know, give the, not like a private lesson, um, but maybe a group lesson with all of them. They continue to learn together and play together. Um, this has been something that, you know, like I said, homeschool co-ops have been doing um, and it's, it, it can definitely be done. Um, and, and then, you know, give a, give a concert, you know, halfway through the year in the park or something, you know, <laughs> um, invite everybody to socially distance and listen to, to the progress your kids are making. Um, well, I, I think that's great. Yeah. And I think that is just such a great note to end on. We were supposed to go 45 minutes today. We've gone an hour. Uh, really appreciate each and every one of you walking us through what it takes to do a pod. Uh, I would remind you that this is going to be posted between 24 and 48 hours after this event today. 
on the Heritage website. So if there's, if you want to rewatch, if you want to jot down any of those things that you might have missed live, uh, it will be up on our website. You can see on your screen here the social media and contact information for each of our panelists. And Kayla, Jason, Jenny, Sarah, I just would thank each and every one of you again. Really phenomenal information and really look forward to watching the uh, pod pandemonium continue. So thank you to everybody for joining us today.